Fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Forget him, kid. To infinity and beyond! It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me, and my natural response could be to get offended. Well, fine, let's talk about it. Any thoughts of, of your own on this matter? But you, is that your thing? You come into a bar, you read some obscure passage, and then pretend you, you pawn it off as your own idea just to impress some girls? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. Hey, that's right. It's a 30-something movie podcast. I am your host, John, and I have with me, as usual, sometimes we don't have everybody with us together, but I've got with me this evening, Dennis, Bo, I... Why am I calling you guys by your first names? I don't even know who you are. I still call my boss, Mr. I've worked for him for seven and a half years, but I walk in here all of a sudden, you're a total stranger, and I'm calling you Bo, and I'm calling you Dennis like we're in some kind of AA meeting. I don't want to be your buddy, Dennis. Hi, John. I just want some breakfast. Mm, breakfast. Breakfast. Call me Rick. There you go. <laughs> I don't want to be your buddy, Rick. I just want some <laughs> breakfast. It's like we're in some kind of AA meeting. Have you ever heard the expression, the customer is always right? Yeah. So I, I was going to mention this later, but I do want to point out, and it, it had been a little while since I have seen this movie. I've seen this movie twice before, so I'm, I'm already jumping ahead a little bit. The movie is Falling Down, by the way. We didn't mention that already. Falling Down from 1993. That's our movie for, for this episode. In that scene where he goes into the fast food place and is trying to order breakfast, and they're like, breakfast ended. We stopped serving breakfast at 11.30. And he looks, and it's like 11.32 or 11.33 mm-hmm. or something like that. And I'm sitting there going, dude, like, first of all, that's really unrealistic. Any other place, breakfast is probably ending at 10.30 if you're lucky. Right. Second of all, 11.32. No, by the time it's 11.32, unless you woke up at 10 o'clock in the morning, 11.32 is lunchtime. That's already lunchtime. Indeed. You need to. You don't need to order a, a what's he called? A womlet? Is that what he tries to order? Whammy, a whammy burger, I think it was. Yeah, but you know yeah. what? He was also walking out of that car for a while to get to that whammy burger place. So yeah. in his mind, he might have been on his way to get breakfast. So his mind might have been fixated on breakfast, and that's why he, he never got that breakfast yeah. yet. You know? Yeah, he's, he's still wrong, though. And All see, right. for lunch, he had lunch in the briefcase. Yeah. I don't know. By, by 11.32, <laughs> that's, that's lunchtime. Yeah. <laughs> And in the real world, he would have been an hour late for, for breakfast, so doesn't even really make that much of a difference. But this is falling down. So we are the 30-something movie podcast. We spoil here, so if we start talking, we mention a movie that you don't want to hear anything about, maybe skip ahead 10 seconds or so just in case. Otherwise, we just kind of talk freely as we go here. Make sure you visit our website, 30podcast.com. You can leave ratings there, leave a voicemail, a review. You can become a co-executive producer via Patreon, where you get all kinds of bonus content there. We've got some really good episodes that we've done so far this year. We've done full episodes on Patreon for The Outsiders, favorite love songs of the 80s and 90s. Octopussy was the one for this month. 
And then, let's see, our, our short ones we've done, Mr. Mom, Favorite Movies of Last Year, Staying Alive, The Dead Zone. This month's are Superman 3 and Shazam, Fury of the Gods. So all kinds of great stuff. Next month on Patreon, we've got the Razzies of 93. So we'll do a whole little, whole little set of the worst movies, according to the Razzie Awards. And then the shorts for next month are going to be Sleepaway Camp from 83 and Evil Dead Rise from this year. So... All kinds of good stuff over there, so feel free to join us over there. Any level of support gets you those bonus episodes and helps keep everything running as smoothly as possible over here on the 30-something movie podcast. So Yeah, I say, I know Pat tonight had a, had a music thing for his kids, so he may or may not be joining us a little bit later. I was going to ask him how things went because I know he, was, he branched out and was a guest on another podcast. It sounds like they got three or four podcasts together, and we're talking about James Bond movies. So knowing Pat, that probably ended up being like a five-hour episode. At um, least. At least five hours. And then recently, actually, they, they probably are both out by now. I was actually a guest on our buddies, the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. They were doing a showdown between Lionel Richie and Billy Joel on who mm-hmm. had the better album in, was it 83 or 84? 83. So I obviously I voted for Billy Joel, but... Um, yeah, but yeah, so all kinds of good, to, all kinds of good stuff, good stuff going on. All right, I think we're just going to jump on into this one. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about with falling down. There's, there's a lot going on in this movie, and I will just, I'll say up front before we jump into all of the background information and all that other stuff. The first time I watched this movie was I was in high school, and the second time I watched this movie was just a couple of years ago, and. There was something very different about watching this at age 15 versus watching this at age 40. And especially yeah. especially given the things that were going on in the world the last time I watched this movie two years ago was, was a very different viewing experience. We'll put it that way. Is the two was, years ago the last time you saw it? Well, except, this, it except for this week, yeah. You saw it this week too, yeah. okay, right. Yeah. Yeah. Did two years ago influence, like, was that, were the goings-on in the world what influenced you to watch a movie of this or was that just happenstance? Um, it's, I was looking around for something to watch. I knew I had watched this one back in high school, and I think I was doing other things. That, like I was, I was working on something, and I was going to just put something on kind of in the background. And I was just searching around on, oh, it was either like Tubi or Netflix or something, and came across Falling Down. I was like, oh, I remember watching that one. Let me throw this one on real quick. And then it quickly came back to me. Like, oh, yeah, this is, this is the one where he goes roaming through all the different scenarios in Los Angeles. And in, in the actual real world, there are, you know, riots going on and all kinds of racial injustice issues. And I'm, I'm sitting there watching this movie now going, wow, okay, this, this hits a little differently in the 2020s. Mm-hmm. So, but we will, we will get into that. So, all right, our first segment here is what we like to call Trivia Pursuits. We're going to give you some background information on the movie. We're going to give you a little bit of trivia. We're going to give you a synopsis. We're going to give you the audio from the trailer. Then we're going to dive into our major moments. That is our kind of quick flyby of the plot of this movie. We'll break it down into kind of the major moments of the plot. And then after that, we we, we think a little deeper. We go into our deep, deep thoughts on this one. All right. So getting us started off here, this movie, as I said, is Falling Down. Came out on the 26th of February, 1993, rated R with a runtime of one hour, 53 minutes. Directed by Joel, I love to ruin Batman movies, Schumacher, who died in 2020. He did Flatliners and the Lost Boys. The writers for this one were Ebby Rose Smith, who did The Big Easy and Turner and Hooch. Very different movies, Falling Down and Turner and Hooch. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's that's some range. There is a dog in both. That's, that's some range. There is a dog in both and cops. So yeah. Yeah. And breakfast to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. Producers for this one were Timothy Harris, Arnold Coppelson, who died in 2018, and Herschel Weingrad. Harris did Trading Places, Coppelson did Platoon, and Weingrad did My Stepmother is an Alien. James Newton Howard was the composer. He did Dave, The Fugitive, and The Sixth Sense. Cinematography was done by, I challenge anyone else to try to say this name correctly, so if I don't, apologies. I think it's Andre Bartokiak. Bartokoviak. Okay. Second time's the charm. I think that's it. He did Romeo Must Die and Speed. Editor was Paul Hirsch, who did Star Wars, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and Mission Impossible. Budget for this one was $25 million. Box office was $96 million. Flick Metrics gives it a 68%, and Cinema Score gives it a B. Michael Douglas plays Defense, who I'm not sure anybody actually ever calls him by name in this movie, but in the credits they refer to him as Defense, which was his license plate number. Officially, I think his name is supposed to be William Foster. Yeah. So. Uh, they call he, him Bill a couple times. Do they call him Bill? Okay. All right. I was trying to remember if they if they. I think ever, the ever cops might call him Bill. I'm trying to remember okay. now. Yeah, but. It's weird because in credits, he's just defense. But yeah. 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 And maybe they don't call him Bill to his face, but they reference him. Mm. They might. Oh, but, you t- know yeah. what? His, his, his wife might say his name. There it is. Yeah. 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 Let's see. Michael Douglas is in Wall Street and Traffic. Robert Duvall was Prendergast, Sergeant Prendergast. He was in The Apostle and The Godfather. Barbara Hershey played Beth. She was in Hannah and Her Sisters and Black Swan. Rachel Tacoden played Sandra. She was in Total Recall and Con Air. Tuesday Weld played Mrs. Prendergast. She was in Once Upon a Time in America and Thief. Frederick Forrest played the surplus store owner. He was in Apocalypse Now and The Conversation. And Lois Smith played William Foster's mother. He was She was in Minority Report and Lady Bird. All right. I have a couple of really quick trivia things here. Michael Douglas and actually his father, Kirk, have both said that this is, Michael Douglas said this is his favorite performance of all the movies that he has been in. And his father, Kirk Douglas, said that this was his favorite performance of all of his son's movies. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you, you hear actors talk a lot about getting into the head space of a certain character, and you got to mm-hmm. figure this was crazy to play. Like, this had to be just to get in the head space of this guy had to be for an actor a, a cool challenge. And a, and a there's a lot of there's a lot of space in that head to get into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and the other funny thing about that is he almost didn't take this part because he had just done a couple of movies back to back and kind of was going to take a break from acting to kind of spend time with family and and just kind of rest for a little bit. And I guess Joel Schumacher is the one that convinced him. He's like, hey, I got the script. I want you to read it. He took a look at it, and he's like, I don't know. I mean, this looks really great, but I'm, I'm, I'm really wanting to take a break. And I guess through the pleading of Joel Schumacher and the, and the quality of the script he saw, he was like, okay, I'll, I'll come back and do this. And, and he's said in interviews he was glad he did because it's his favorite. During the filming of the movie, which took place in Linwood, California, the 92 Los Angeles riots erupted. So as the riots as the riots intensified on April 30th, filming had to be cut short for the day to do the disruption. To continue production, the film crew moved to Warner Brothers Studio on Burbank to shoot some additional footage. However, when the crew planned to resume filming on May 4th in Pasadena, they were initially denied permission, causing delays. Filmmakers acknowledged that the tense atmosphere of the riots had an impact on the final product of the movie. So, mm-hmm. a little life, life interfering with art, maybe in that case. 
Mm. And and imitating. And then finally, this was my favorite piece of trivia, just because I want to go back and look for it now, because I don't know that I noticed it. To promote the release of the song Baby Got Back, Sir Mix-A-Lot's studio sent a giant 20-foot by 15-foot inflatable butt around the country in April of 1992, the same month this film began shooting in Los Angeles, and the inflatable butt makes a cameo appearance during the phone booth scene. Mm. Yeah, I meant to go back and look for it. I did not. Yeah. So kind of wish I had. So I like big trivia, and I cannot lie. All right. The synopsis for this one in the style of the late great Don LaFontaine. In a world where the pressures of modern society are at an all-time high, one man will reach his breaking point. Michael Douglas stars as William Foster, a former defense industry engineer who is fed up with the frustrations of everyday life. When his car breaks down on a hot Los Angeles day, Foster begins a journey that will push him to the brink of madness. As he encounters a series of obstacles, from rude fast food employees to gang members on the street, Foster's anger and frustration boil over. With a relentless police officer hot on his trail and his sanity slipping away, Foster becomes a symbol of the growing tensions between ordinary people and the society that has left them feeling powerless. Will he find redemption, or will his rage consume him? Falling Down is a provocative and gripping drama that will leave you on the edge of your seat. Bill Foster is an ordinary man. Where are you going? Going home. Not this way or not. Why not? Metro rail construction, that's why not. Living in the everyday world. I don't suppose you'd have a couple of bucks you could give me. It wouldn't really help me out. If you give me your address, I'll mail it back, honest. A patient man. Can I help you? Yes, I'd like a ham and cheese omelet or wham fries. I'm sorry. We stop serving breakfast at 11.30. Who's running out of patience? I guess some change for the phones. A peaceful man. No, it's I have to buy something. Who's about to be pushed? 85 cent, 85 cent. Doesn't give me enough money for the phone call. Drink, 85 cent. You pay a goal. A little too far. I stay. You mean you stole your baseball bat, but he paid for the soda? Just standing up for my rights. As a consumer. Oh, this guy's discriminating. What kind of vigilante are you? I'm just trying to get home to my little girl's birthday. Give us your briefcase. If everybody will stay out of my way. Here, you want a briefcase? Here's my briefcase! There's the briefcase, huh? Wait, 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 the briefcase. wait a minute, man. Wait, wait. Then nobody will get hurt. Warner Brothers presents... Hey, would you get off my golf course? I am! The story of an everyday guy... ...who refused... Five! Baby, whoa! ...to take it one more day. So we got a nutcase with a bag full of guns. He's in Hollywood right now, and he's heading west. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there's other people waiting to use the phone here. Now, if you go up against this guy, be careful. I think it's out of order. Somebody in a white shirt and tie gunned down a phone with three blocks from the Whammy Burger. Michael Douglas. In America, we have the freedom of speech. Come on, I want to be a parking lot. I buy a ticket. The right to disagree. Robert Duvall. I know who this guy is. In a Joel Schumacher film. What are you doing to the street? We're fixing it. What the hell does it look like? See, I don't think anything's wrong with the street. I think you're just trying to justify your inflated budgets. Well, I guess so. I'll give you something to fix. What are you... Hey, Charlie! Oh, 
falling down. Let's call it a day. Come on. I'm the bad guy? A tale of urban reality. I like that tagline. A tale, a of, tale urban of urban reality. Yeah. All right, let's walk. Let me walk you through the major moments here, real fast. We'll do this real fast, and because we got a lot of stuff to talk about here, so let me do the major moments. I'll do a quick flyby on this one. All right. So, major moment number one is I'm going to quote a song by the late great Jerry Jeff Walker. If I can just get off this L.A. freeway without getting killed or caught, he is stuck in traffic, and we've all been stuck in traffic at one point or another, and it is, but at this this early stage, we, we start to see his frustration just sitting there and waiting, and uh, as we find out, as the film progresses on, we find out he's trying to get to, it's his daughter's birthday, and uh, he wants to get home for his daughter's birthday. As things go on, we learn that he's not really supposed to be going to his daughter's birthday. He's got a restraining order against him, and his ex-wife does not want him there. And we'll find out a little bit later on why, but that's the beginning. He just abandons his car, as he will be referred to in the credits. His license plate is Defense, D, I think it's D-F-E-N-S. And I think, we, I think we learned through little bits and pieces that he was, and I think it mentioned in some of the synopsis stuff that He's a former defense industry engineer. I was reading one thing that said he was a, a former weapons engineer, a former defense a contract employee, things like that. And so, you know, we don't get too many details about what it was that he did, but it, it maybe explains why he knows his way around some weapons. So one of the first scenes is he needs to make a phone call, but he does not have the change to make a phone call, goes into the convenience store, needs to get some change, but the guy will not give him change unless he makes a purchase, wants to go buy a Coke. He's assuming the Coke will be 50 cents. The Coke is 85 cents. There, uh, Then um, a little bit of trashing of the store ensues because he feels slighted by having to pay 85 cents for a Coke, whereas I'm sitting there going, 85 cents for a Coke? Sounds great. What a steal. <laughs> Then he starts listing off prices for the other things in the convenience store. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What, 129? Like a pack of gum is not even 129 anymore. I can eat more than 129 worth of toast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, he, does, he does trash the store. He does take his baseball bat, but he does trash up the store a bit. And uh, there's a lot, well, I won't go into it now because we'll talk into it when we get to our, our deeper thoughts, but a lot of his commentary and a lot of his ranting that he does kind of once he gets on these once he gets in these scenarios where he gets upset about something we'll we'll talk about those a little bit later when we get into our deeper thoughts then he manages to wander himself through gang territory and is just sitting there kind of minding his own business but uh, i would argue he he probably knew what he was doing He, he kind of knew the neighborhood he was even if he didn't really know the neighborhood well that was my question right like Seeing this as an adult, I wondered that. Yeah, does yeah. he know where he is? I think he knows where he is. I think he does. We'll we'll talk about it. But I I kind of mm. have a I get the sense he knows exactly what he's doing in some of these scenes. I will jump right ahead then to we've got the I don't want to say B story, but it is kind of the B story. Is Sergeant Prendergast? It is his last day, and everybody's kind of expecting him to, you know book out early and and not stay the entire day his wife is at home telling him that she wants him to come home you know what are they gonna do fire you at your last day you know all the other cops are giving him a hard time saying oh the other guy he was five minutes away from retirement and he got he got run down in the parking lot and so everybody's kind of giving him a hard time and you know trying to his boss is trying to the captain is trying to get him to stay trying to guilt trip him 
into staying on the force and not retiring. And so uh, he is, uh, Prendergast is, is having a little bit of a rough day. Everybody's giving him a hard time for all this. And he's, he's kind of getting it from all directions. In the meantime, he starts to kind of get peripherally involved in tracking down defense or William Foster. And he's, he's been a part of hearing about all these different bits and pieces. He interviewed the guy from the convenience store when he came in to talk about how he had trashed up his store. You know, and as the movie goes on, he's hearing about all these little details, a a guy in a white shirt and a a black tie. And so he's piecing things together and uh, he's going to make this an eventful last day of work. I'm going to jump ahead then to one of probably the the most recognizable scenes in the movie, and that is the scene at the Whammy Burger. And that is where he's he's walking in and he wants his breakfast. They stop serving breakfast. He doesn't care. He wants his breakfast. And you know what, Rick? Have you ever heard the phrase, the customer is always right? Well, here I am. Yeah, that's not our policy. <laughs> which, which is a great response. Like, you ever heard really the customer is always right? Yeah, it's not our policy. Not our policy. I've, I've heard it. I've heard it. Yeah. So then we have the whole scene. He obviously we whips out one of his guns. I'll, let me back up for a second. He got the guns because he, when he ended up in gang territory, he fought back against some of these gang members, beat him with a baseball bat. They went looking for him later on, and they do a they try to do a little bit of a drive by and gun him down while he's talking on the phone at a phone booth. This supposedly is the scene where the giant inflatable butt is that was going around for the Baby Got Back debut tour. And he ends up, they end up crashing their car and he ends up taking their entire duffel bag full of guns with him. Ultimately, he will end up trading his suitcase, trading his briefcase for a duffel bag full of weapons. So now he's got all those with him. When he's at the store, when he's at the fast food place, he does pull out a gun to threaten them into giving him the breakfast that he wants. And then, and then he even changes his mind and decides, I'm okay with lunch and tries to order lunch, but even that's not good enough. And so as, as we go along, there's a, the kind of collection of different scenarios as he's walking through the city. He ends up at the Army Surplus store and meets the guy there who kind of makes him look like Mr. Rogers. And then later on, we've got the scene with the construction crew, and he's upset about the construction crew. They're not really, they don't seem to be doing any work, and they're just inflating the budget so that they can get paid. And he whips out a rocket launcher. I think he, his line is something like, I'll give you something to fix. And he whips out the rocket launcher and, and blows everything up. And then fast forward to, we, we kind of reach, he does finally reach at the end of the movie. He is able to confront his ex-wife and his daughter, his daughter who is happy to see him, his ex-wife not so much. They end up on a pier at the end of the movie. Prendergast is there and ultimately defends. It. He ends up, death by cop is his fate. And at that, then Sergeant Prendergast decides that he is going to stay on the force is that this is not his last day. He's going he's gonna to keep going because that's what he does. He's a good cop, and, and he's going to keep doing his thing. So Those are the major moments. Did I miss anything? Guys, anything that, any other scenes that wanted to mention that I missed here? We could talk about more of them as we talk about our deep thoughts, but any obvious misses I jumped over? No, I think you doubled back for the right stuff. Okay. Yeah, I think you covered the synopsis enough, yeah. Okay. There's going to be something that pop up, but it's probably during the discussion. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, let's go a little bit deeper. I have an opinion about this, so. And now, deep thoughts. I have an opinion on this matter. Don't mince words, Bones. What do you really think? 
I like it a lot. Wow. It's very deep. Thank you. Wow, it's very deep. Thank you. All right. I was trying to, I was trying to debate if I start off by asking this question or not. Yes, I am going to start this way. Do you like this movie? And welcome, Pat. I saw Pat is Pat was able to jump on. He's in the car. We get a thumbs up from Pat. Keep your hands on the wheel, Pat. Good grief, brother. <laughs> I know I my, what Elon Musk is selling, but it's not full self-driving. Just putting it out there. <laughs> hey, man, I got my knees to drive, okay? Yeah, I, I can, you know. Wow. <laughs> uh, so do you like this movie? Yes, I do. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to say yes, but man, it gives me a... It definitely has a, I think the first time I saw it, I was like, yeah, great, you know, like, for, I don't know, like I was 20, 21, 22. Mm-hmm. And now when I see it, it just gives me a little bit more of a, a sicker feeling about certain things. So, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I it, like as a, movie, but I yeah. don't like the way it makes me feel. Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I like it as a piece of art, it as works. a way of looking at the human condition. I think that's, you know, it, it just, it makes you think a little bit, which is good. A lot more sadder this time around, too, for some reason than I remember it at 22. But right? it had to be yeah. just sad then, but it's so much sadder now. And again, you think about it, you know, we're, we're older, we're married, all of us, like all these, you got kids and the jobs, and there's just so many things that make it a little bit more interesting. Yeah. Agreed. From a couple perspectives. I mean, I definitely had a lot more, and I'll get into this later, but the Officer Pendergrass story, much more made me think a lot more about this movie this time around than I did the first time. Okay. Pat, Patrick, what about you? I'm, I'm boy, I'm hearing everything you guys say. And I think I'm going to take a little bit of each one of your answers. Yes. I very much enjoyed the movie. Yes. I very much got just feeling from it because I kind of like, well, who, who was the good guy in it kind of deal. And obviously, you know, I guess officer Pendergrass was, would be the good guy. There were parts of it that I very, I very much liked. I think this maybe was the first time I've seen it all the way through. Okay. There were, there were parts of it that, boy, I don't want to say, I don't want to say I thought they could have been better because that just sounds a little bit too value judgment esque, but I guess I just had different expectations. Like I thought it was going to go a different way. And so I kind of bumped up against a couple of things with the movie. I mean, I thought Robert Duvall was amazing. I thought Michael Douglas was amazing uh, in their roles. But yeah, I guess the stuff that kind of bugged me the most was just, I didn't expect it to be, like there were things that I expected to be different. Yeah. All right, let me ask you, oh, I I didn't say mine. Yes, I do enjoy this movie, but kind of in the same way you all have mentioned, when I first watched this, I think I was 15, 16 years old, saw it in high school and it was one of those kind of like I've heard of this one like some of my buddies have talked about this I'm, I'm putting it on like a you know it was on the same list of hey have you seen Pulp Fiction you got to watch that one have you seen Falling Down you got to watch Falling Down it, you know people had all these lists of here's the stuff you got to see if you like these kind of movies you got to see this have you seen Death Wish like if you like Death Wish you got to watch this one so all these different kind of similar movies watching watching those around the same time so watching it at 15, 16 years old, it was kind of like that. It was kind of like, hey, this is, yeah, I haven't seen a movie like this before. This is kind of cool. This is this is cool. It's just, that guy's 
dude's angry. Like, I'm not that angry, but, you know, I kind of get some of this. Like, he's mad at the world and all this other stuff. All right, cool. Fast forward to two years ago was the last time before this week that I saw this. And I, I mentioned already that, obviously, within the last few years, not just the last few years, but just within the last couple of years or so, we have had a lot of, there's a, a heightened racial tension. There have been riots in the cities and and other things going on, especially two, three years ago with the George Floyd, you know, George Floyd stuff and, and all that. And yeah, so it was, a, it was a very different time. And I didn't plan to watch it. I was just looking for something, came across it. I was like, I saw that one back in high school. I think it's about time to watch it again. And I just put it on while I was doing some other things. And, and as I was watching it that time and again this time, I just, I was getting that same feeling that you guys talked about of, yeah, it's a, it's a well put together movie. Like I like the performances and I like kind of the, the premise of this from the standpoint of a piece of film, but at the same time, just maybe it, maybe it hits a little too close to reality in some places. So I'm going to ask my next question this way. We'll, we'll start off this way, and, and this I'm sure it'll bring out some of the other thoughts that we're having. Defense, whether you want to call him Defense or William Foster, Bill Foster, whatever you want to call him, is he the hero or the villain of this movie? Neither. He's neither. Um, I think that... Uh, with, I, I, I'm trying to think of how I could approach like approach the stuff with the questions and stuff. But I, I just I, like I think what I want to say is I think what the movie does so well is it makes you associate and pull for him. You want him to reunite with his family. You want everyone to kind of in many ways leave him alone. Like it starts off small. Everything starts mm-hmm. off small. Like even literally, if you don't catch it, it's the heat, yeah. the heat of LA. It's the his air conditioning's not working. The the traffic jam. We've all been there. And I think we can all associate with those times where you're just having that day and just everything seems to go wrong. So you're pulling for him because everything's going wrong. I don't think he intentionally goes into the gangland territory to say, I want to provoke them. I think he just goes there not really thinking about it, which honestly, we should be able to go wherever we want and eat our lunch or do whatever we want or sit down wherever we want. And and, and there, there shouldn't be gang territory. There shouldn't be a place you couldn't go, you know, the burger thing, you get that burger and it doesn't look like what's on the menu. Like all the little things that we experience, but we don't break because we don't also have this other underlying situation going on, or at least most of us don't hopefully, but it also is scary because many people do have some of these underlyings. So how close are we to having that breaking point where you hear somebody who was a good person who just snapped, you know? So I think there's a scariness of that. And then you counter that with Pentagrass and Here's a guy who's almost the complete opposite, a bit of a doormat to a certain degree. He's doing everything to please his wife who's had issues with the baby. He doesn't even swear you find out. He's a guy who's so good at not breaking, at not falling down, that he almost becomes, at the end, he falls down just enough. If you notice at the end, he starts to break through. He's going to be the doormat. He's going to go do what his wife wants and go to Arizona, wherever he's going, where he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to do any of this stuff. He has that kind of emotional relationship with the other lady. So he's kind of like the silent sort of hero of all of us who kind of put up with everything. And then you have this guy who we're witnessing totally unfold. So there's a contrast between the characters where one unfolds completely to a point where you actually don't, you're afraid of him. And the other guy, you're like, you want him to kind of come out of that shell a bit. 
and like stand up to all the crap they had a life is throwing at him his co-workers he finally punches that dude he finally mouths off which is my favorite lines at the end with the way he delivers the a few a few very much at the end when he's being in it like it's my, we played that back three times me and hunter because it was just funny uh, <laughs> but that's a guy who would not have done that a week ago or even a day ago. So it's just an interesting thing of like where are boundaries and what's socially acceptable and at what point are you kind of silently dealing with things and becoming a victim and at other times where are you becoming the perpetrator? Where are you crossing the line by getting too over the top? At what point do we deal with all these daily things that we we face without breaking, without falling down and not being able to get back up? I'm going to, I hear exactly what you're saying and it's interesting, Dennis. I kind of had a different reaction. Like, is see i saw him this time i saw him as the villain right like right no one forced start. him to i did and i was right surprised even, the gang guys. Even, even with the gang guys like Why? here's because and it surprised me because i thought falling down was about a, like a regular guy that just reached his breaking point but in this and maybe i got to go back and watch it there was already a whole backstory of him like of, of him being like already having a restraining order from his wife. She wanted nothing to do with him. She was scared of him. And like, I mean, and that's why I was kind of, I was almost disappointed because I was like, keep that a little bit more secret. Let that unfold at the end. I felt like I already knew what was going to happen. The guy's already a bad guy. Like he's trying to just get home, but, but he's, you don't, the, you don't know that though, until, I mean, the, the gangland since, scene already happened well, you're you're talking well you're talking about the gangland scene and yeah i agree because there were the gangbangers and it was just like it's the old saying of you pick the wrong house to break into you pick with the wrong guy and i mean i get that and there's the whole he stuff but he was still the bad guy there and i have never seen this movie and all and then i'm like well at the beginning they already established that he's kind of this nut job that is going after his his his, his family wants him away i already know that so i already know he's the bad guy is kind of what my reaction was. And it was kind of like what kind of kept me in the movie then was the Pendergrass thing, because here's a guy that's assaulting the crime. Wait a minute, a baseball bat? And then he tries to tell people and all the jerks in his life just don't listen to him. Okay, wait, a white shirt and a tie? And no one listens to him. And it's just like, dude, the guy's doing good police work. He's establishing yeah. this connection. Like he's putting this together and, and that's what kept me in the movie. But as soon as I found out that he was... I don't know, stalking his wife or, you know, like. Well, here, here's the interesting thing about that. And by no means am I justified. I don't ever want this to get out that I'm justifying any domestic abuse or anything like that. Cause there, there's obviously verbal and there's, there's physical and there's this from what I gather. And from some of the conversations where the, where the police even start questioning her, some things, the fact that that daughter loved him. Okay. And the daughter was like, oh, my God, daddy. Okay. This was between two adults. And now, granted, she has some pretty good, based on you watch the home video that he's watching, and he starts to realize that, too, that all he had a temper. He had a temper, and that's what he was guilty of. There is in no way is there any sign that he actually physically abused her or, or tormented her in any other way other than having a temper. And she even said, I'm just afraid that he might hurt me one day. And the guy was like, well, he never did anything. He never lifted a finger against you. Never. No. She's like, well, no. And she, so there's a divorce and there's a relationship and everything else there where obviously there's a guy who has pressure on him and he has a high, he's a, he's a naturally whatever, for whatever reason, he has a very bad temper, but he never acted on the temper in a physical way towards his daughter or towards her, according to the, the, the dialogue in the movie. 
So I don't know if I would label him as a bad person right away, other than a man who has doesn't deal with pressure or cope with things very well, and he has a lot of stress, and he doesn't handle it very well, and he has a temper, which many people are probably guilty of. So I don't know if I would say bad man right away. I think the divorce obviously hurt him. Not seeing his daughter hurt him. And the fact and that... And being consistently told that he wasn't allowed to. like Wasn't allowed to. It was know? all piling like, on for this guy, you know? So I don't want to sit there and say that it's the wife's fault because she's got to do what also is in her best interest to keep herself safe. And if she was worried that he was going to hurt, hurt him or hurt her, that that might be grounds for whatever. But at the same time, the way that I think that it was a conversation with the cop and they kind of questioned her and she sort of questioned herself to a certain degree of like, well, like, and then kind of was like, well, what am I supposed to do? Kind of wait till it happens. I always thought like you might, which again, her gut, get that. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, did she overreact? Did she shun him from the daughter's life so much that this pushed him even, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, then, like then I don't they know. Shouldn't have written in, then they shouldn't have written in a, then they shouldn't have written in a restraining order. If they were, well, you can get a restraining out. order. You can get a restraining order, you know, like that's not as difficult to do from what I understand. Yeah. Like, like she fears for her life. So she got a restraining order from her because he kept trying to obviously talk to her to get, like, if you ask the mom, even the mom, when he, there's a, there's some interesting conversations where when he goes home and he, they go to the house where the mother is, and she's talking about how that was so devastating that she would not let him see his daughter. And I think pose the question to any one of us, if your child, if you were not allowed to see your child and you did nothing physically wrong, and you did nothing that you deemed that was dangerous to put it. And would that, how, how would we be affected? I, I'm just introspectively just like asking myself, like, God, I don't know if somebody just put a restraining on him or for, for no reason and got that granted. And then all of a sudden I can't see my child. Like, how will that devastate me as a, as a father, as a man, you know? So I'm just saying that's another piece in that puzzle where I don't think right away. I always, always, I think at some point, yes, he breaks bad. It's kind of like breaking bad. At what point in that movie or that TV show does the guy break bad? Started off with good, again, getting on a side tangent with the, with the TV series breaking bad, but there's sort of a similar thing. When we was talking to Hunter about this Hunter, cause me and Hunter watched this, this time, my son, and he was sort of saying the same thing. He sided with him in the fact that he was kind of, he, he had this conversation like about like, you know, like why wouldn't the mom let him see the daughter? You know, like you can do it with, with supervised visits. You can make sure that he goes to therapy. There are ways to do that without shutting a person out from his, his child, who the child obviously looked like she loved him and cared about him and he loved and cared her as well. So I don't think straight out, straightforward, bad guy, I ever got that thing like right from the beginning or right in the middle it was like as it started escalating and he so you could tell he was unraveling you know and then and then you're because he even says at the end he goes am i the bad guy and pentagram he has that conversation at the end i think that's the movie right there like i did everything people wanted me to do he says that he's like i work my job and then i'm told i'm obsolete his wife is telling him he's obsolete it's a guy who's literally being pushed to the edge and handling it obviously poorly but i don't know that I can clearly just sit there and go, I hate this guy and he's a bad guy. I feel it's a really sad story. At the end, the second time, and I knew where it was going because I've seen it before. I was just going, man, like, why can't they, why can't there just be some sort of resolution at the end? You know, he has a good part of his day at the end and he doesn't. Every time it's kind of like wishing, like when Steve McQueen jumps over that uh, in, in The Great Escape, they want that to happen. And this one, I always find myself going, I wish like there's a different ending, that there's some sort of resolution at the end. doesn't mean they have to get back together. 
But could they not compromise? Could they not say, you get to see your daughter. She obviously loves you and you obviously love her. You've got some issues you got to work on and that's part of the deal. You know, I don't know. So one of the things I was, I had found an article from 93 that it was actually written by Kirk Douglas and it was kind of his response to some of the different responses that were coming out from this movie. And he says in this article is from the Los Angeles times for the different people that are, uh, that are reviewing and, and either condemning or, or uh, enjoying the movie. He comments and he says, did you really see the film? If you did see it again, Michael's character, Michael Douglas's character is not the hero quote, newest urban icon. He is the villain and the victim. Of course, we see many elements of our society that contributed to his madness. We even pity him, but the movie never condones his actions. Yep. So Sounds about right. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's interesting. Like this movie, this time watching the movie, I saw him much more as the villain than I did the first two times I remember seeing this movie. That doesn't that doesn't mean that I consider him to be a a, a full-on unredeemable villain in this movie because I think as you guys are saying, he starts off, if you're seeing this movie for the first time, he starts off sympathetic. You know, it's a guy who's being pushed, like you guys have all said. He's just, it just it's those little tiny, the little tiny chips away, you know, wearing you down, just wearing you down, just the maddening torture of these little tiny things. But very, very quickly, you, you do get... I mean, you get when he when he's in the convenience store, and he's trying to get some change to make a phone call, and it's it's the store's policy he's not going to give change unless somebody buys something. All right, that's the store's policy. So, but he already gets angry at that. He goes to buy something, and the Coke is thirty five cents more than what he expects to to pay for it. He thinks he should pay about fifty cents. It's eighty five cents. Then he starts getting angry, and because of the perceived slight by being nickeled and dimed by this convenience store owner he starts in on this kind of racist tirade about the whole thing you know like if you come to him if you're going to come to america at least learn the language and just laying into all that kind of stuff and i think watching it this time around too that i had when i first watched this movie years ago it took a while into the movie before my sympathy for him eroded away and this time watching the movie, my sympathy for him was gone so much faster. And I think it's just a difference in the age I was and, and the time when I first saw this versus seeing it now and I'm older and there's been more things in the world and in life that we've gone through. And so I think some of that colored my my viewing of it this time around. And, and I was less likely to stay sympathetic for his character as the movie went on. That That, that eroded much faster for me this time. Yeah, going in and bashing up a guy's store and going in and I get, I mean, the whole scene with the whole, like, oh, are you kidding me? You're not serving breakfast. It's 1133. You're not serving breakfast. Like I get that. But the whole thing where he pulls the gun out with his finger on the trigger and he starts waving the thing around. And then it's kind of like, that's the kind of stuff that it's just like, okay, I can't be sympathetic with that. Like I, I can't. And I can't. And yeah, I'm seeing the movie in a, in a modern lens, but I think everything that we're seeing in society right now is maybe what this movie was maybe kind of warning about or pointing to or whatnot, but it's like, I can't, I can't see that as a sympathetic character. 
I mean, right, I'm going to jump in and I'm just going to say like, okay, so I got to first clarify this so people don't think I'm crazy out here, but I'm not, I'm not judging you. I agree with you guys on the sense of like what he's doing. He makes so many bad and poor choices and wrong choices. And you could even say villainous choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm going to go on the flip side. Now, having said that, that I agree with you on all that. Don't think the movie was set up that way to just be it that clear and black and white. What I think they did so well with this was they're putting all these situations in there that we see, see witness and allow and tolerate and tolerate is a key word here. Cause in this case, he has no tolerance. He has lost all tolerance for everything. All right. So that's why he is acting the way he does. But all of us underneath this, I think have issues with sometimes the way society has become a crudeness, a game, the fact that like if I go through every situation that he has, every single one, even down to the wife, if you go down to every single situation, that store owner was an ass. That store owner was rude to him. That store owner knew that he was trying to make a phone call and could have easily gave him the change plus an additional to make the phone call. In a civil society, he would do that. So when you open that drawer, he could easily give him the, the change, the dollar for the phone call and do that and be a good person as well. He's not. There's not that simple courtesy of respecting another human being, which then triggers him. And again, not condoning his behavior. I'm saying two people played a part in this. The gangland stuff, these guys are totally in the wrong. You don't have a fee where you have to charge people for trespassing or going through your, you don't own that land. The guy who's the guy who's a, like totally a bigot against the, the homosexual people in the, in the store. You know, that's the one where he really crossed the line because I didn't realize the first time I saw the movie, I thought he just like beats that guy up and leaves. I didn't hear he killed him. So he murdered that guy. But that guy was also pretty much close to murdering him. So golf guys, how many people don't know pompous, rich people who just had and the whole idea of all the land that he says could be used for this and that. The guy with the construction even admits that, yes, there really is nothing wrong with this street. And and most likely that is the case because we know that is part of politics is that there's underhand paying this underhand and there's politics going on. Wow, this person, why are they always fixing these things? And that they're made to do to keep spending money with the budgets and things like that. So there is the politics of that. The wife probably, probably you're overreacting to the point to where when I say overreacting that she can be concerned about that, but there's also a different way to handle that. When you watch the video where he's like, where he's talking, yes, does he lose his cool a little bit and he raises his voice and she gets all like scared or whatever. At the same time, I'm sure she's yelled at him just like that, but he didn't slap a restraint yet. Like most likely I would say that there's probably been an argument or something like that. Where uh, I, yeah, don't I don't know. How... We're, we're, we're writing a lot of backstory. I'm well, just well, we are. My point is I'm saying they put all those things in there, Pat, because it's things yeah. that we witness and know and allow every single day that we put sure. up and we don't cross that line. And they're going to give him that, like, just because it's a movie and they got to string him along to show it, keep on asking. We know that, like, again, 1132, you're telling me if the guy really didn't want, he wanted breakfast, they couldn't have probably been like, oh, we'll squeeze it in or at least be a little bit like, oh, I'm so sorry, it's the policy. Instead, they were kind of like smug about it. Like, every, and he's like, no, like, they were everybody that he encounters that he flips out on. Honestly, they are just as bad in terms of like like the society as a whole. And I think that's the commentary and how we are as a social construct of like people are just like you're you're there's nobody in here who's nice to him. Nobody. Yeah. Show me one justify paying a gun. nice to him during this whole entire movie. He never catches doesn't a break. Justify, one doesn't justify pulling a gun. I get that. Doesn't justify pulling the gun. 100%. I agree. We're on the same same page with that. 
But my point is, what justifies everyone else's behavior? I think it makes us look at how we treat each other in society, and you don't know who that falling down guy is. Who's that? They say it in school with kids and bullies. You don't know what that right. kid's dealing with at home, what that final kind of thing you say to a kid or you do that could push that kid over the edge, you know, for self-harm or for anything else. So I'm like, I think it's a good shining light, not just on his character, but I think it also makes us look at how society is, is like feeds into this. Like if you have a bad day and you just keep having a bad day and people keep just pouring it on and pouring it on. Like, why couldn't that, what if that guy gave him the money for his phone call right from the start? Does he have the rest of those experiences? Does he even have the gun in his hand? Did he buy the gun? No, he didn't get the gun. He got the gun from the gang guys, the guy gang guys who tried to shoot him, like, you know, who killed other people in the drive-by, which ticks people off all the time. Cause that's, I told my son, I go, that's typically what happens. I said, in gang drive-bys, they usually get all the innocent bystanders and kill some baby. And it just ticks you off even more because they don't even hit the person they're trying to hit. So like all those like scenarios that I think the scriptwriter put in were there to kind of show us that like, all these things we experience no i hear you and i mean it was that was kind of my frustration too is like pendergrass trying to solve the crime no one's listening to him they're in the traffic jam at the beginning and like the police officers like there's lots of moving metal and flying and they're like in bumper to bumper traffic pendergrass is like looking around you know and it was just like humorous things like that i just think we got to be careful of writing the backstory pendergrass dealt with them pushing the car out of the way was a jerk it, it was, yeah, he was. If we're gonna write, if we're gonna write the backstory and say, well, the wife was probably nagging him, you know, if we're getting, didn't say I mean, she. I never used the word write, nagging. If we, <laughs> if we, if if we're gonna write that backstory, then we got to write the backstory and say, well, maybe this this the clerk, the this the shop owner, what's his backstory? You know, like like I get that. Everybody might have I, a backstory. You're absolutely right. And so I just again, I don't see that. And we can act like Pendergrass or we could act like defense. Right. And that's my thing is like, I don't see defense as this poor guy that, well, he's just, oh, shucks. When he pulled out the gun, that's it. Now, does ever, does all parts of society bear some, some responsibility in it? Is there a collective responsibility? Oh yeah, I hear it. That's the way I try to live my life. That's the way I vote. That's the, all those things lead into it that I think we bear some measure of it. And I mean, when he was trespassing on the, on the golf course, let's take a look in, in, in recent years past, how many times has someone been quote unquote trespassing in a gated community or walking through a gated community that looked different, had a different color of skin or different, whatever, and was accosted or stopped or detained or all this kind of thing. And for nothing more than just walking down the street. So, I mean, like I get all those things. But, and I can understand like, okay, you drove this guy to the breaking point, but you know, he was the guy holding the gun and waving it around. He was the guy like, and I know that the rocket launcher, that was almost cartoonish when they, they <laughs> were the kids helping him with the, the direction. That was awesome. <laughs> was the no, you just got to flip this but, up and push this button. And then, but I mean, you're still launching a, a rocket. Like how many people would have gotten taken out with that. You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, I don't think, I don't think at this point you've, 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 it's gotten past like reality. And I think I've, I don't know, right. at least I took it like that. Like almost like a, almost, I wouldn't say a dark comedy type of thing effect to it at this point 
where obviously he's going so far over the top now with the bag full of guns and the everything. Like, I think it gets that point, and it's not like a real, almost a reality situation. He's just lost all reality. He's already, he's broken now completely. Like, he is not, like, he's falling down and he's not getting up. And, and you realize that with the rocket launcher, with the gun, like, that's where I say I draw the line. I don't think with the, because even when in the beginning, the police were like, well, he didn't steal anything. He paid for his soda. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's all those little things where it's like he he wasn't trying to be a dick to everybody. He really wasn't. He was reacting poorly and being a dick. But, like, his goal was that he still paid for the damn drink. The guy was like, well, wait, did he yeah. did he rob me? He didn't rob me. Well, he, I guess he robbed his bat, but he didn't he, he, he paid, paid for the, the soda. You know, he, you're a little bit, he, yeah, but, then he, little bit. but he also destroyed his store. I mean, there's a lot well, of, well, they started fighting because the guy wanted to pull a bat on him and everything else too. So everything was getting escalated, like it escalated because of two people. Right. And I will say it's because of two people in that situation. Again, does he have the right it's to the do that? No. justice thing that you're advocating, Dennis. The what? You're, you're advocating restorative justice for him. Yeah, no, I'm not advocating it. I'm explaining that why they wrote it for the movie. <laughs> he's not a bad guy. He's just a bad no, guy. No, no, no. He, he turned, he, he's a, I think it, I think at the heart, it's very easy to say that he's a bad guy and that none of us have that. Like, I think it's foolish to say that nobody has that capability. I always think that's the dangerous thing. I would sit there and say that I don't. Like, I feel like I'm definitely more on the Pendergrass side of things in terms of containing and dealing with a lot of stuff where I would like, I don't start arguments when I have bad service at a thing. When I encounter these things, you know, people do that. And it's like, some people will be like, well, why don't you say something? Why don't you know what? Cause it's not going to solve anything right now. I'm good. I'm, my person might be having a bad day. That's how I kind of go about it. And I kind of move along my day. So I'm very much on the Pendergrass mentality, but I would, but I recognize that everyone is capable of the defense mentality and i think that it's foolish to not think that it's like somebody said like if you all think that you're the hero and if you went back into the, in the 1920s and 30s 40s of, of, of germany that you assume you would be the good person the odds are you wouldn't the odds are you'd go along with it that's what the odds are but in hindsight we all could say that so i always say like this is a self-reflective piece of me defending him to a degree of the sense that everyone has darkness possibly capable in them they're that pushing point that they get to and that you have to be aware of that. And I think that this film does a nice job of really highlighting how ugly that looks when you give in to those darker sides and you lose all control. So again, I'm not defending him or his actions or the gun. I'm very anti all that, but I think I'm taking maybe a different message from why they made this film and the way that they filmed it and all the scenes that build up, why they're very careful to not have him be 100%, in my opinion, the bad guy right away, and why everyone else played a part in his falling down. It's like they just kept pushing him, pushing him. He never got a chance to get to get up. Nobody gives him a break in this whole entire film. So let me ask you guys this question, because I've, I've heard this thrown out as a possible scenario for this movie. Do you think there was one, I was reading one kind of quasi-review of this, and they said, watching this movie I truly believe that it was defense intention all along to go to his house and kill his family. No, 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 absolutely not. Okay. No. And I think the movie even tries to telegraph that to you. Like, because like he changes clothes from that yeah. white button down shirt and tie thing to his more, no, like, the GI Joe. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're trying to show his, 
descent into madness for lack of a better word. So, um, so what about when he gets, as he gets closer to getting home and he's, he's calling his wife on the phone. He's some of the stuff he says is pretty cruel stuff. Yeah. He's like, he makes the comment, um, you know, she says something like, you're just trying to scare me. And he asks, well, am I, am I doing it? Am I succeeding? And he's almost kind of like happy about this. Like the, yeah. he's, he's enjoying the torment yeah, he's already um, gone he, at that point. Well, and then he, yeah. yeah, and then he makes that comment later on. You know, in some South American countries, it's still legal to kill your wife if she insults you. Yeah, how about I, that? Whoa, yeah. there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Easy, Hold big that. fella. Hold on now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, he's already gone. He's irredeemable at that point. And I think Pendergrass, even though he gives him a chance at the end, he realizes it that he's obsolete. That uh, I forgot what the dialogue at the end is. Some there somewhere. Oh, man. Let me see if I can find it. You're talking about the financial... Oh, no, Pentagrass. That's a different conversation. The one where he goes, I'm not financially... Viable. Is it viable that he says? Economically viable. Economically viable. That's it. I knew I didn't have it right. I just didn't know what I was wrong about. Which the sign earlier is the showing like signs earlier about that. There's the... Call back to that, yeah. Even, Even the guy who was homeless or whatever, who was asking him for something. And when he was just sort of a, like, that guy was a jerk. <laughs> like, I don't know anyone in this film who was good to him at all, ever. Like, who was? Can you give me one person who was actually decent to him at any point when he was initially decent to them? He was always met with some sort of kind of smart ass or somebody playing the system or somebody being a, you know, a jerk to him or like pulling it and like, like, and again, that shop thing. And again, I'm not just... He obviously went for the race card after that and brought up the Korean thing and about the country and about all the like he did all that. Like he, he like he, he was just and again, they're his buttons and he's responsible for pushing his own buttons, not somebody else. But my point is the way they set this up, it was just things that we encounter every day, yet we are able to make it through and cope with. And he was not. Well, ironically, at first, the only person that was really kind to him was the the white supremacist army surplus shop owner. Right. And then ultimately, probably the only other person that really showed him like any type of kindness might have been Prendergast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the end, he sort of did. And he was yeah. giving him a chance, like saying, we don't have to do this. Like, hey, no, you know, like, like he wasn't like wanting to shoot him. And that was that conversation at the end. But obviously at that point, like I said, he's so far gone. Yeah. You know, and in the end, what does he say? Like, again, the daughter. So and it, you have a choice. I can kill you or you can kill me and my daughter will get the insurance. So, again, he's still looking at his daughter getting the insurance. <laughs> so, again, you can look at it, a guy who really loved his daughter. And what did that do? Pulling, ripping a man against away from his daughter and not letting him ever see him, see her. You could tell in the video that like with the video, like obviously he had the temper, but he also you could tell that he also loved his daughter. So. Again, not making excuses for gun behavior. As long as she was riding the horse. As long as she was riding the horse. (laughs) Just take the chips. Just take the chips. Take the chips. That's the. Does he have have a temper issue? Yes, he does. And like I said, if you knocked off everybody else and just locked them up who had a temper, you'd be locking up most of the population. There's so many people I know who have tempers. The thing is, at what point is treating somebody somewhat kindly, getting somebody professional mental help? This like, they, did they go that route? They don't even talk about that. Was there counseling or did she just leave them? You know, I don't know. I'm just, and again, 
I'm very far from that character in reality. <laughs> like I really am like, I'm not nuts or anything. I'm just saying yeah. I recognize it. I recognize it. I've recognized it in other people and I've heard other people's stories and I know those type of situations. So I realize that like everybody can be one step away from falling down, I think, you know, and I'm like, when just shit goes wrong and shit keeps going wrong and people and things happen, it's like, you see some people who lose it and it's sad and it's tragic and it's, it's horrible. So it's just kind of, it's just, again, I think that's what this movie's trying to do. So I think if we just easily just write him off as the villain and he's the bad guy right away and everything he does is wrong and everyone else is right. I think then we're missing the point of the film. That's, that's just my opinion. I think it's genius that he starts off as someone who you kind of relate to a little bit. Like who doesn't, who wouldn't want to say like the, the gang guys like right there. When he just starts hitting him with the briefcase, you, you want, want my briefcase? You want the briefcase? Hunter starts cracking up and laughing at that when he's watching it. Yeah. You know, and, and my, oh my god, my brother! I would have done that. At, that's what I did at that age too. I remember all my brothers and us watching that scene and going, "Wow, God, that kind of felt good." But here were these gang dudes who were just being all badass, and and he just kind of this one guy, this kind of nerdy looking guy with a with a pocket protector and a tie, just kind of hits him with a briefcase and just tells him what everyone else would like to say. He's speaking for, for, for a lot of what people would like to say to that kind of attitude of, oh, this is my territory, it's my game. You know, and he said, maybe if you could, well, I forget what he says, if you spell or, or was there some line about the graffiti or maybe something to Maybe if you wrote it in English. You make something, yeah, or something like that, yeah. And it's just like, yeah, who wouldn't want to, like, when you get that burger and it looks like crap, like you're thinking, this looks like shit, it's all greasy and everything else, it looks nothing like what's on that thing. Like, everybody thinks those things, and I think to a certain degree they write it in so that it kind of, we can identify with a little bit. So if I think we just totally don't identify with him in any aspect whatsoever, it misses the point of how tragic it is that he turns into the bad guy. That You mentioned the scene with the gangbangers, like, that's the scene from the movie that I remember. The yeah, switchblade, give me your briefcase. Yeah. Like that's the that's scene. The that, yeah, it's the one that we and, and what was in his briefcase was just sandwich. Sandwich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and that's where he ends up getting the guns from one of the people that was like out to. It just it uh, again, uh, and and I think you you got to pay attention to Pendergrass story because there's two stories going on here, and there's the guy who is the guy who on the other end is taking crap from everybody realistically. He's letting his light wife at this point control because he feels bad for her. He at one point tells her, remember to shut up. Remember that? So is he now, mm-hmm. should she get a restraining order on him, Pat? Because he loses it with her and tells her to oh, shut up. Oh, no. Oh, no. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hey, man, you you mansplain me and gaslight me as much as you want. But for, don't forget, I got a Y chromosome, too. I don't have to deal with that stuff. I don't have to deal with that stuff. That's... That's, I'm sorry. You're better than that. You're better. Than, I'm not going to let you fall into that. You're, you're a better man than that. <laughs> but is he, are that. we sure? <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe some of your, you know. Well, should he have maybe, talked to his wife that way? Pardon me? Should Pendergrass have talked to his wife that way? Did he lose it? No, he didn't lose it. And he wasn't screaming. He's just like, okay, shut up. Like that's enough. But he wasn't sitting there screaming at like the kid. Sit on the horse. Sit on the horse. Go on. You got to sit on the horse. He wasn't coming home stopping with a gun and calling and stalking and all this kind of stuff. See, that's that's the difference there. <laughs> and she doesn't have the 
Okay, that's fine. But again, what's going to happen when he goes home and tells her he's still going to? You don't get to see what happens when he tells her he's still going to be a police officer that he's not going to Arizona. You're not seeing that part of Pendergrass. Right. My point is, situations can always bring up situations, and I'm just saying it's all dependent on how we act on these things and how we. He was somebody who never let off any steam. It looks like, like they said, I don't trust a guy who never swears. Was like that. That's what the police chief said to him. He ends up slugging the guy who insults his wife. You know, he ends up talking back to his wife and finally kind of standing up and telling her like, "Hey, knock it off." He starts to. I don't know if you want to use the the whatever the traditional phrase. He starts to kind of like. I don't know what I don't want to use the phrase grow up here, but like he was so almost too pleasing for everybody else that he was not living his life the way he kind of wanted to. And he was doing everything else because of other people, which you can say is noble, but which you also could say is not being true to himself. And at the end, yeah, but he played the game, to, but what? he played the game and he ended up winning. He, he was like, okay, he played along, he played along, but he was the one that solved the crime. Oh, I get it. If anybody's a hero and it's here, but he also had to kind of come out of that mode because they kept telling him to not, to, to leave it alone. Like you're not a police guy anymore. Like let it go. Like he kept getting shut down like everywhere. As you said, he was trying to, had he not fought through that, had he not kind of spoke up for himself, had he not kept pursuing it, had he not kind of found his own voice and like not just done what everybody else told him to do, he wouldn't have solved the crime. And he has a kind of a metamorphosis throughout this whole piece. So both characters change. One comes out of that kind of meek, kind of, I wouldn't say meek, but like patronizing. Like he's just going along with what everybody does. He's, he's kind of, you can tell he's not really happy. The the lady that he has a kind of the emotional affair with knows it as well. Yeah. She's the only one who really seems to know him more than his wife, to be honest, in that case. And, right. and it's I'm just, just saying, I can't, I can't write a backstory. I've got to look at the facts that the movie. Oh, I think they give you backstory. I think and, they give you. Yeah, they, they you got to listen to the conversations. The they give you backstory. I, I'm just no, because you you called my name out, so you called me out. So I'm just going to defend here. I don't think you. I'm not. I'm not signing on to that. Oh well. So he tells someone to shut up. So that makes him equal. That's why defense is really okay. He was just losing his temper. Like I'm sorry, man. They present a scale here in this movie. And the defense character was off the scale. Now, am I saying that that was 100% his fault because he was painted as this 100% evil guy? No, I think he was painted as a three-dimensional human character that cracked. And I'm fine with that, but he cracked. And I don't think that we can just, well, maybe it was this, or maybe there was that, or maybe there was the other. It shows him yelling at the family, threatening their life, and he ends up chasing them on a pier with a gun. I really don't think that you can equate those two as saying their actions were equal. You know what I'm saying? Like I can't. So oh, I, don't I don't think you're saying that. I don't think anybody's saying their actions are equal. Their actions are very right. different. I've never said their actions are equal. Except for five minutes ago when you said Pat, he said, shut up his wife. So is he, I'm just saying that he lost. There? The point of that was that he lost his temper with his wife really quick. He, he kind of like he got loud with her. He yelled at her and he told her to shut up. Well, he had his falling down moment. And the difference yes. is Pentagrass had his moment and moved on. And moved on. Yeah. Exactly. But Where he had a defense, moment. not so much with the moving on. No. No. <laughs> boy, boy, couldn't move you on. Also, anywhere. like, there's also some weird, me and Hunter were talking, like, there's a little bit of the, the story with the wife of Pentagrass and the death of the child, that the child died of sudden infant death syndrome, but it was at two years old. And that was kind of weird. He sort of made it sound like there was doubt about that and that it was as what, like, is there some underlining? And she seemed like the wife had cracked. 
she seemed a bit like out well, there. Well, she was a bit off. That's for she sure. She was definitely a bit off. And Whether it was anything to do with that Most likely not, the death like... of a child, probably. But at the same time, there's sort of a gray area that you don't even know about that's like interesting about that, like where they brought up the way that they couldn't have just simply said that. You could have wrote it any different way of how that, that, that kid died. Yeah, how his, his yeah, daughter, it was uh, it was interesting they, the way they showed story in. It's a weird story to throw in for the death of a child to say that it was sudden death in sudden infant death syndrome, but it was at two years, and he sort of gives you that question or look like I don't get like how that sudden infant death at two years. Yeah, you know, it's like Pentagrass is processing it, and it's almost like they were trying to. <sighs> I felt like this was another one of those showing the difference in the way these two guys process like Pentagrass yes. is processing this thing that happened to him and he's incredulous about it. And he's just like, I can't believe this happened I'm two years old. And yeah, but if that had happened to defense, it would have been one more thing and he would have just sent him into a tailspin. Yeah. 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 John. <laughs> I'm, I'm just listening to you guys, and I just keep thinking, sometimes, even when you win. <laughs> it's a nihilistic movie. Yeah, well, a little bit. <laughs> no, I think one of the interesting things about his character is how, when you when you look at him, he is so stuck in the the pre-Cold War era. His, his The way he dresses, his job, his haircut, his everything he does is so much... 50s and 60s America and it's and that's why I think it's interesting about the two characters is each of them you know the times they are a changing and between the two of them between Prendergast and Defense things are changing and like you guys are saying they they're dealing with it in very different ways he's he's he he got fired because his skills are no longer i mean his skills are, are probably obsolete you know he's defending building missiles to defend against the communists i think his mother says well by 1993 that's not quite so much an issue anymore and that piece is starting to fade away and and prendergast same thing like he's he's gotten to the point where he's he's an old school cop he's kind of on his way out and he's just kind of dealing with it and kind of going along going with the flow kind of a deal and defense obviously obviously not going with the flow but yeah i thought kind of this time especially watching it this time i thought it was kind of an interesting take on the as things are shifting out of the 80s sometimes we talk about how you don't really leave a decade until two or three years after that decade's over i kind of had the feeling with this movie too it's like this is coming out in 93 but it's it's definitely a commentary on all right so we're we're out the other side of the 70s and 80s and we're coming into the 90s, and and I think what's interesting is you do get, in a lot of, as we get into the 90s, you do get a lot of, I don't know, to me sometimes the the 90s seemed like it was kind of an angry decade. Like people were, the music was getting a little angrier. And, you know, I think some of the promises of the 80s, thing, things were, things were going to get better, things, it was going to be a party, things were going to be good. And I think some of those promises didn't come to fruition, and I think people start to get frustrated. And and uh, so, I don't know. I thought this was kind of an interesting look at that. But I think visually, too, just his changes over the course of the movie, I think you guys had mentioned it earlier, you know, just his his change from the very 50s, 1960s look to basically G.I. Joe with the whole, with the whole outfit 
at the end. Yeah. Well, there's the inner transformation that's going on, and then there's the outer one. And yeah. I think that point with the with the GI Joe type of outfit, he even states it to his wife on the phone. And I think that he recognized that moment. He referred to it as I think here it is. I've I passed the point of no return, Beth. Do you know what that is? That is the that's the point in the journey where no where it's no longer no longer where it's longer to go back to the beginning than it is to continue to the end. It's like, do you remember when those astronauts got in trouble, they were going to the moon and something went wrong. I don't know. Somebody screwed up and they had to get them back to earth, but they passed the point of no return. So they had to go all the way around the moon to get back. And they were out of contact for hours. Everybody waited breathlessly to see if a bunch of dead guys in a can would pop out on the other side. Well, that's me. So he's already saying like, at this point, I'm like almost a dead guy. Mm-hmm. Like I'm done. I'm on the other side of the moon now out of contact. Everybody's going to have to wait till I pop out. Right. You know, and that's, that's when he's talking to his wife and that's when she gets scared and says, the police are here. So he's obviously saying like, I passed, like he wasn't there, but now he's there. And that's, I think symbolized by the GI Joe outfit symbolized by the transition. And again, I don't think you get there at the gang thing or at the traffic jam. I don't think you get there. I think that if you, if I think you're selling that character and his plight and everything he's been through and not being sympathetic in any ways whatsoever to simply just say that that's a bad man. That's a real, to me, that's a cop out. And I think it's an easy, quick, Hey, that guy's an asshole. I'm nothing like him. You know, no one's like him at that point. A lot of people are like him. And again, I don't think I'm like him. And I know I'm saying that like, I'm not, but I know that it's possible that when your tolerance is low, like you're capable of being there, everybody is. And I think it's important to always be aware of that so that you never cross that line. So you never fall down. So you don't go to the other side of the moon. The other thing too, I lost my job. Well, actually I didn't lose it. It lost me. I'm over overeducated, underskilled. Maybe it's the other way around. I forget, but I'm obsolete. I'm not economic, economically viable. And then the conversation with Sergeant Pendergast, Prendergast, Prendergast at the is now let's go meet some nice policemen they're good guys come on let's go so he's trying to be nice to him but he's all like had that happened a half hour before in the movie would that outcome been different would he have gone with him but at this point he's already past that point he says i'm the bad guy and he's like how'd that happen i did everything they told me did you know i build missiles i helped to protect america you should be rewarded for that instead they give it to the plastic surgeons you know they lied to me is that what this is about? You're angry because they got because you got lied to? Is that why my chicken dinner is drying out in the oven? Hey, they lie to everyone. They lie to the fish, but that doesn't give you any special right to do what you did today. That only makes you special. The only thing that makes you special is that little girl. So he even says, the only thing that makes you special is that little girl, but that's the one thing that he doesn't even get allowed to have is a relationship with his daughter. So if that one thing that makes him special is denied by that wife, you can, again, understand some of his anger to the wife. It doesn't mean that it justifies it. It just means I think as a, as a, as a man, I always put myself in that shoe. Going through like a whole divorce thing myself, and it, it, luckily it's been amicable. But I just sit there and think, what would have happened if I was getting denied my children? And it happens to a lot of dads and it happens to a lot of guys out there. I've known people who have, who have gone through that. And luckily I've been the day, you know, I've been here with my kids the whole time. I luckily was had them always with me. Like they've never been missing, like gone or other than a couple of days over at mom's house. I've had them full time. I can't imagine what that would have done to me as a man and as a father, not having them. You know what I'm saying? Now, again, I shouldn't have a temper. But maybe that's something that, again, you would have to, you would have to go and have therapy. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you, there's ways around it that didn't seem like they were ever searched for in this film to help this guy out at all. He was a guy who never seemed to get a break from anybody. So I sympathize with that. And I think that's the difference of my point, Pat, is I'm not, cond- I'm not sitting there hailing him up as a hero. 
I'm just saying that they present to us in the story intentionally a man who never catches a break from anyone. And he failed miserably at his response to that. But at the same time, what kind of world do we live in where somebody doesn't ever get a break? And where people just want to cast him as the villain right away. I think you got to feel, if you don't feel anything for him in this movie at all, at any point, I think then it misses the the point of the script of, of what the, the writers were trying to do. That's, that's my opinion. And I think as, again, we talked about how we see yeah, before. I think you got on Pat, we were talking about how we saw this when we were younger and how we older. And it's a weird, very different response that I had to the film this time than I did when I was 21. I remember like, like Bo said, I remember the gang scene. I remember like, Oh, it's kind of like, that was cool. You know, it was almost a weird sort of totally shut out that he murdered the guy in the shop in the end, who again was, probably the worst person in this film. Yeah. But, well, it's funny to hear you guys say that because, and I don't want to cycle all the way back, but that was kind of, I think that was my reaction too. I hadn't seen this movie as a, as younger. I'd seen parts of it or kind of thought I knew what it was. And when I started watching it this time, I'm like, this isn't the movie that I thought it was. Like it, it was almost like a, an echo of what you guys experienced, but isn't that the mark of a good movie that it makes you think and see things differently depending on what age you are and, all of that so i think i think one of the one of the things about this movie that if there's any kind of a message that gets across to me is that we as a a system a society or whatever you want to call it we are not very good about recognizing people who are struggling like whether Mm -hmm. whether it's printergrass whether it is defense like nobody here i the only person that off the top of my head the only person i can think of in this movie that recognizes the struggle of another human being in this is a printer gas's partner it's the partner yeah that's, that's exactly. the only person in yep. this whole movie that recognizes the struggle of someone else and it's it's two very different kinds of struggle similar in some ways but and, and of course they're handling that struggle differently but you know it, it's like it's like in the real world you you I would say probably nine times out of ten, if you walk down the street and you pass a homeless person, you are probably going to keep walking on by. You know, we, we don't, when somebody is struggling, a coworker is struggling, or something like that, like it's so, sometimes it's so awkward to know what to say, or to know what to do, or, and I think this movie kind of heightens that, and that gives an extreme picture of, let's make this the worst day someone has ever possibly had in their entire life, and then let's also show how, not to condone their actions, but how does the system and the society we have in place, d- does that do anything to recognize what this person is going through and try to help in some way or try to acknowledge it at least in some way? And I think the answer that comes through is, for the vast majority of people, no. We do not do a good job of recognizing those kind of things. Yeah. And that's why I think I maybe went into hyper defense mode of him because I felt like we were all very quick to to just villainize him right away as bad guy right away. And I'm and I'm just like I did not experience because I, I knew where again I've seen the movie so I knew where it was kind of going and I just maybe had more time to to process it and look at the look at it from a script perspective and I'm always asking why do they put that line in there why did they put that situation there and this isn't exactly believable and he's just going to go in from one to the other and it was just it was kind of like he he was getting to vent a lot of things that a lot of people would like to vent so therefore we can identify with him but we couldn't identify with his behavior 
and how he was acting out because he was obviously taking that what we were kind of like hey we're on your team is the way i feel like in the beginning became like okay yeah you're getting a little too crazy here i'm not on your team anymore buddy okay now you did that yeah now now you lost me oh my god this isn't going well and now i'm worried for you and and i don't even think it got to a point where i'm saying i hate him although yes when he's on the phone and he says the thing about her being scared he definitely looks a little bit evil at that point yeah where you're like oh crap when i see the video pat i don't again i don't i i see it as i don't see it as a bad guy other than a guy with a with a pretty bad time he wanted the kid on the horse he wanted the kid to have fun he wanted his daughter to he bought the horse and you know what i'm saying he probably put a lot of thought into that like you got i just again i maybe i'm taking it way too deeper on that i'm just saying i don't condone it i don't agree with it that's not me but i see it i understand the fact that if this kid love if this guy loves his daughter so much and he bought her that horse and he wants her to have a good time and that kid's not having a good time on that horse it's like maybe it's i see a little of my dad I, i'm just throwing that out where i see a little sometimes of that where there's little elements of my father in that where it's like he wanted you to have a good time and you're not having a good time so it's like it, it, it's 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 almost a hit to his pride it's a hit to the fact that i've been trying to make my daughter happy at her birthday party and she's not happy well get her on the darn horse and she'll be happy if you just put her on for five seconds i'm telling you she's eventually gonna like the horse like i don't think i could fault that guy in that sense other than yes i don't agree with it yes it's wrong but i, I don't think he had an evil intention I don't think he had an evil intention. He loved his daughter. And and even like I said, the thought of like, hey, well, at least she'll get the insurance. Him with the globe. And when the guy breaks the globe, like that sets him off because that globe is for his daughter, you know, the snow, the the snow globe or whatever it was, or the the water thing. Like his intentions were all about literally going home to his daughter's birthday. It was kind of like, my life sucks right now. And the only thing that I really love is my daughter and I want to go home. And everybody else becomes an enemy to him because they're stopping him from going home to the one thing he loves. And the only thing he feels that when she looks at him, she sees something good. No one else sees anything good in him anymore, but that daughter. And and I think that was even like, I think the most like heartbreaking scene is to me is I would have almost rather had the daughter be afraid of him at the end. And she's not the daughter's like, daddy, She's like, like running like up to him. You're like, how running up to him. And who, and who pulls him back? The mom. The mom pulls her. And I get why she does. She's afraid. I would do the same thing probably if I were in her shoes at that point because he's obviously said some pretty scary things, you know, and it's gotten to that point of no return where it's like, how do you handle that? You know, and then how does she handle it? It's not a good situation for anybody, you know, and then Pentagrass shoots a guy who's got a water gun. You know, how does he live with that? Like, obviously he made the right call because the guy's pulling a gun on him, but that's never easy to, because you just shot a guy with a water gun who was just trying to die. I mean, it's, it's not a happy movie. <laughs> it's, it's not. That's why I think I said at the beginning, like I felt like, oh, oh, after the, the movie. Because I think it made me think way more about all that this time around than than just the kind of enjoying like the story and the plot like early on. Oh, wow. And it just kind of went this way. And as a 21-year-old, you're not processing any of that. You have no idea what it's like with any of that stuff. Relationships, divorce, job, being obsolete is whatever. Like all those things. Like it's like there's so many different stresses in life that you experience later on. And again, I'm pretty good at coping. But I know there's a lot of people who aren't at a coping out there. And that's 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 a scary thing. Because those are the people who snap and shoot people up. You know, we see a lot more of that nowadays. And, and it happens. And, and how do you prevent that? And I think that you don't prevent it by just saying that those people are just bad people. 
All right. Well, it's probably about time for three questions. Do we have anything else on this one that we want to talk about? Anything you missed? Any other, any scenes you want to bring up? Anything like that? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, the three questions will not be quite as deep as the deep thought conversation we just had for the last hour or so, but... You know, for a stretch of time, I just I was like, I'm going to let Dennis and Pat go here, and uh, maybe maybe Bo and I can have a conversation in the chat, and just like Bo, how you doing? How are things going? How's Donna doing? Everybody good? <laughs> I was just uh, taking it in, man. It oh, was yeah. uh, good stuff. Yeah. I do on a light note. I do want to. I do have a little pet peeve with the movie when the guy when the when the police officer had his bike knocked over, right? Yeah. I'm just saying, like, no one. That was pretty funny. No one likes having their, no one likes having, no one likes having their bike knocked over. Like, right. And I mean, the guy was ticked. Did the police officer handle that well? (laughs) No, he didn't. And here's the thing too. It, It kind of like, I know they had to do it for the movie, but honestly, those bikes are designed to do that. And if you notice it had crash bars on it, it didn't fall that far. And especially if you ride, if you're a, if, I mean, police officers that ride motorcycles are some of the like most highest trained, like motorcycle, you know what they all do. They learn how to lay those things down on their side. If they have to drop them quick and use them for cover, they have all sorts of like good, like slow speed maneuvering. And there's a real, like there's a way to pick up a motorcycle that's fallen over. And that guy was nowhere near it. He was throwing his hands up. He was free. It, it kind of like, was like, I don't know if it was a movie mistake or they just wanted the guy to look flummoxed. And I can't say no one is happy having their bike knocked over. Right. Like that's not fun, but there's a real, like a way to do that. In fact, I've even seen demos where police officers just like, here, put the bike on the side and then you pop it right back up. I mean, it was kind of like, I'm kind of like, okay, that kind of makes that guy kind of look like he doesn't know what he's doing. That's just my little gripe. And I'm sure if, I'm sure there's probably several thousand of our listeners that are all motorcyclists that can tell me where I'm wrong. But honestly, like that, I'm just like, okay, I'd get ticked if my bike was knocked over, but that's not the way you react. There's like a whole technique for how you pick those bikes up. And it was a cop bike with like crash bars on it that are designed so that the bike doesn't fall all the way over because you might have to jump off your bike real quick and you don't have time to put the kickstand up. So that was just my little like, kind of movie shenanigans i kind of called on that one scene but you know it was kind of it's kind of funny and it it stinks having your bike knocked over i will say that i think it just adds i think the uh, that whole scene with the bike like you said the cop i think the cop doesn't even it just again showed that like pentagrass and the other guy were trying to help and it was like they were kind of like the guy was kind of rude and it just again right from the start I think they have some dialogue with the cars and the traffic jam. He's like yelling at a lady, like, Hey, you dumb bitch. You cut me off. Like, like yelling at her and stuff. Like it was just showing like how people just kind of treat each other like a bunch of like, mm-hmm. like that whole, that's what he's in. And that's what he walked out of, you know? So I think it just sets up that whole kind of, again, oh. it's a commentary on society. Like here's what happens when you have a society that doesn't give a person a break, that doesn't treat people with respect that everybody's boiling over at the edge and that we treat each other with such disdain and disrespect. And, 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 and I think that's where you, when people wonder why people do these things, I think you can sit there and say, it's a precursor to kind of answering that question of like, this is why, this is why people lose their stuff because they get pushed too far and they break. And there's people who aren't as strong and good at coping as other people like Pendergrass, you know? All right. It is time for three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. 
I want to ask you a bunch of questions. And I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, question number one. What is your favorite Long Journey movie? Mm. <laughs> Should have been by category, darn it, John. I said this is like the Mazuka clause here. Uh-huh. Oh, no, no. I, I think the I had two. I had a serious and a funny one, so I'm going to use two. I'm going to go. Oh. The first one is going to be planes, trains, automobiles. Nice. The second one is going to be. I mean, it popped into my head of um, the the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but I'm I'm actually going to go with another more hidden one that nobody probably would have seen. It's just called Rabbit Proof Fence. Oh, I love Rabbit. that one. Yeah. Okay, Rabbit Proof Fence, because I think of a long journey, and for these kids, it's if anybody doesn't know what it's about, it's about these Aboriginal children who used to get like basically kidnapped from the uh, from the government by the government for to be like what re-educated and everything else yeah. and all the stuff from their parents and they use this rabbit proof fence to try to find their way back to their home so there's this long journey about trying to avoid being caught and stuff and the english guy what's his name he's married to um, kenneth brano kenneth brano's in it yeah he's like one of the kind of the i guess quote unquote bad guys in the it, it's and peter gabriel soundtrack which i also love too yeah. but yeah that that i'm gonna go with that one as the drama one that's a good one although lord of the rings would have been kind of the first thing that popped into my head like a long journey i think okay but planes trains okay one of you is going to say the, the the other close one that i was going to say it's also a comedy i'm sure my well mine was mine was kind of quick and easy i mean i had several different options i was going to pick from but i'm going to go with oh brother where art thou Mm, there oh, you go. Yeah, I, yeah, good, I choice. Good. good choice. Mm. I was thinking, silly, I was thinking Homeward Bound, The Incredible Journey. Mm-hmm. I actually, I brought that one up to the kids. I was like, have you guys ever even seen that before? They're like, no. I said, yeah, it's, it's, they've got, it's, it's two dogs and a cat, and Michael J. Fox plays one of the dogs. <laughs> and Nora thought, for some reason, she didn't think that I meant that it was like actual dogs and cats. She thought that it was like Michael oh. J. Fox on all fours, like in a dog oh, that's costume. That's awesome. I mean, <laughs> and I was like, all right, well, now I want to see that movie. Right. But <clears throat> so now I know at some point we're going to have to watch that because they've never seen it. There you go. Well, and then, of course, there's Pat's favorite The Never Ending Story. Never Ending Story. Yeah, that was. But but did he really go anywhere? Because did it happen at well, all? Well, right. I, I don't know. But I don't know. And he's, the movie and portrays a journey. The movie portrays a journey. You're right. You're right. Never ending story is a good one. Masters of the Universe was a good journey. It was good, good journey. journey. Good journey. Dennis, I'm glad you mentioned Lord of the Rings. That one's that one's a good one. I I don't know if this is a technicality at all, but I'll I'll tell you. That growing up, one of my favorite books was The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And oh, very nice. I remember rereading and reading and rereading the Voyage of the Dawn Treader ad nauseum. So I'd have to say Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And the only other one that I can think of, and, and I know Mazuka's going to love this because it was referenced a couple of weeks ago, is Master and Commander, Far mm-hmm. Side of the World. Mm-hmm. That one is, oh, and now I'm thinking like one of my all-time favorite movies, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Oh, yeah. There you go. I think all of mine seem to have a nautical theme. So anyways, I'm just going to go get my drum and sit on the back of the boat. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But no, 
I think, uh, yeah, I think, I think those would be, those would be the ones that I would think of. Nice. All right. Question number two, if you could only eat at one fast food place for the rest of your life, which one would you choose? My, my kids split the difference between Culver's and Portillo's. Mm-hmm. Mine is, I had to get super specific. There is my favorite place in the city to go to anytime I'm in the city. And if one of these is nearby, they actually just changed their name. They used to be called Bombay Wraps. Now they're called Bombay Eats. And it is like a, it's a fast food Indian wrap place. Mm. Very, very good. This was tough. And I could see where Portillo's would be an option. Mm-hmm. This is hard. I kind of like the idea of Culver's. Just gives you some options because they have fish, they have chicken, they have burgers. It's true. And they have good ice cream. It's true. So I think. And cheese curds. Oh, yeah. See, there it is right there. Yeah, Done. Good. Culver's. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Oh, wait. Hold on. I'm sorry. I just completely messed up. Yeah, the Bombay Wraps <laughs> place. But then, oh, man, I forgot about Whataburger. And, mm-hmm. and to, you own it. Oh, no. I got to change my answer. Sorry. I got to change my answer. Torchy's Tacos. Mm-hmm. Torchy's Tacos. <laughs> our, our Oklahoma friends will know about that. Anybody in Texas that's listening, they'll know about that. I got to go Torchy's Tacos. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm done now. I'm planning a trip to Indianapolis now because that's where the closest Torchy's is. But you guys talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to, I'm just going to plan how I'm going to get there tonight. Mm-hmm. You're going to plan it out. Yeah. All right. So uh, it depends on where I'm living. So if I have a choice, I would say Plant Power Fast Food. It's in it's in uh, California, Ocean Beach. It has phenomenal plant-based shakes, burgers, wraps. It's, it's freaking delicious. And it's a fast food place. It's really good. Over here, I would go with, does, does I didn't know if, if Qdoba counts as a fast food place or not. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I would go with Qdoba probably. If I were to go with your more traditional fast food place, I would actually go with a place called Bona Beef. There's one in Lakemore and there's one in Oakland. Yeah. And they have a really good vegan beef. Like it's like I will do that over. Like I used to love old beef sandwiches back when I did meat and stuff and everything before. They have a a plant based beef one that that doesn't taste like weird fake stuff. I mean, it, it is. If you gave me a choice between blind taste test between the beef and that one, I would probably check choose the other one, hmm. the one that's plant based. Okay. It's phenomenal. The seasoning on it is great. It's 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 really good. So I'd go bone of beef if we're going to go more traditional. Good right. fries too. All right. Yeah, bone of beef is a pretty awesome. That's, yes. I didn't know they had one out like more till later. I was like, whoa, and yeah. then it's like, you know, drive out there. Yeah, that's like it's it's like five minutes from my house. Which by the, the whole, I discovered it going to the Woodman's Market. That's yeah. there. And then when I yeah. went, whoa, that's right next door. Whoa, I didn't have to. I don't have to drive forty five minutes to my mom's to go to the get the one that's out. Because yeah. there's two of them out by like where my mom lives. One in one in Oak Park, I think, and one in Hillside or something. So. The one out in Lakemore also during the summer has like an Italian ice. ice yeah, yes, I see it closed down out there. I'm going to try that because I just discovered that yeah. this past like fall. So yeah, it looks really good. Yeah, you know? yeah, bonus, bonus, really good. Yeah, because bona means good, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the slogan. Yeah, that's yeah. the slogan. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. All right, do we, Pat? Do we give you enough time to think about you? Yeah, I, does Jason's Deli count as fast food? 
Sure. Because if Jason's yeah. okay, because then I'm taking Jason's deli because okay. well, it's, I think I'm a salad bar guy. I was going to say, man, that salad bar, I could live on that thing. Oh, yeah. I could live on that thing. Jason's Deli used to be the after church go to brunch place because I think we met you guys there one time. Yeah. yeah um, there. When the families and everything. And I want to say, like, there was a time we were going there every Sunday for a couple of years. So yeah. we wrecked, I ordered off the menu once okay. of the hundred times I've been to that restaurant. I ordered off the menu once. Every other time was the salad bar. Yeah. And I always walked in going, eh, maybe I'll order off the menu. Then I look at the salad bar and I'm just like, yeah, just nope, nope, just going to do salad bar. So, but my gosh, yeah, you guys present some really good, the, some the, pretty incredible the salad, options. The salad bar was the menu. The salad bar was the menu. I mean, it was, it, it was great. It, the salad little, bar is the brute squad. <laughs> that's right. But yeah. And I, and it's funny because it seems like we're in a, a thing now where they, they all kind of do what the Chipotle Qdoba, where you go down the line and pick, mm-hmm. you know, we yep. have that Bibibop place. Yep. Yep. There's a couple of places that do that with like Mediterranean food. So man, if, if they ever did like a, I guess roadies kind of, okay, now I'm, now I'm hungry. <laughs> now I'm just going to go all the places, but I'd, I'd have to say Jason's deli and okay. just the salad bar, just the salad bar from Jason's deli. That's, that's a good choice. I will say, and I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying that it is quality food, but in terms of fast food that we really enjoyed, if any of them were still open, I would also say Fazoli's. That was the Italian place mm-hmm. we used to stop by. Uh, actually, when we, were, when we were in college, we'd go there almost every Sunday because it was the affordable Italian place mm-hmm. when you're on a college budget. Yes. All right, question number three. And, Pat, if you want to, you can talk about the people that were at your concert that were driving you nuts. Question number three, what makes you angry? People. Stupid. All people. (laughs) Every single person. Every single person in the world makes me angry. But you see, here's – but you see, Dennis, before we cycle back to the next five hours, okay, here's what I do. I'm going to go buy a cottage in the middle of nowhere by the ocean with a trail. And then I can run down the trail, and when I see people, I can be nice and pass out goodness. And when I don't have any more goodness to pass out, I can just go be by myself. So you're going to go buy a cottage? Where's this cottage, Pat? It's in the middle of nowhere, Dennis. You don't need to know. It's in the middle of nowhere, so you got to get there. You don't need to know. You hop on your your motorcycle, and you hit traffic. And the traffic's going nowhere. You can't get to that cottage. So then you go okay. and start walking across, and all of a sudden some gang members right. start messing with you, Pat. All right. And then all you right, go Dennis. and you have to walk all, all the right. way around this golf course that could have been a park for children. That could have been. Dennis, you know, I don't. I don't want to step all over your virtue signaling, but <laughs> we're in California. Okay, California has permissible motorcycle laws where you can split lanes and shoulder ride. I'm on a motorcycle. I don't need to be in traffic. You see, that's you didn't the benefit. Say you were in California. The movie was in set in California, wasn't it? You you said I think a place local Midwest here somewhere. I think no, oh no, no, it's not local and it's not Midwest, my friend. But it's going to be secret. But here's the thing, Dennis. I'm going to sell all my vehicles and I'm going to walk. I'm just going to walk. It might take me years to get there. Be careful where you walk. That's okay. That's okay. Don't walk on I'm the just golf course. Walk. And, Don't walk and honestly, across any graffiti. And and I'll just keep walking. That's okay. That's God okay. I'm just you keep need walking. to make a phone call. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I'm just going to walk. I'm just going to walk. That's all. I'm going to go and be away from everything. What really makes me mad? Like, honestly, I'm kind of on a quest to not get mad anymore. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm not going to say all people. 
I'm not going to say all people. Talking in a concert does kind of blip the throttle a little bit. Gets me a race car running in the red. But then at least I think to myself, well, I'm not that guy. At least I'm not that guy. And then I take, I take pride in that. Well, my, my answer is that's my secret captain. I'm, I'm always angry. (laughs) Mine would be similar to yours, Pat. Mine would be people who talk or use their phone or basically act like morons in a movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, especially mm-hmm. nowadays, the one that's been driving me nuts lately, and I, I don't, I wouldn't say it gets me angry, it just gets me flabbergasted, is how every single movie theater, at least around by us, every single movie theater now, your, your seats are assigned. Like, you know where mm-hmm. you're going to sit because you bought the ticket for that seat. And yet every movie I've gone to lately is somebody sits in the wrong seat, and then there's mm-hmm. this whole commotion because they get there late and then somebody's got to mm-hmm. move and somebody's arguing with, well, no, I think it's my seat. No, no, no. Here's your seat. This is a, like, folks, the, the rows are clearly marked with letters and numbers. I know reading can sometimes be difficult when it's just letters and numbers, but it's really not. Well, that there's difficult. no pictures. Yeah, no, it's, it's really not that difficult. In fact, when you typically, if you buy the tickets online, or I think even when you buy them at the box office, I think usually they show you a picture of the theater and show you where your seats are on the little picture. That's true. So there's not a whole lot of reason why. Yeah. The only mm-hmm. other thing that made me angry recently was when I went to the movie, I went to see cocaine bear with my sister at the Alamo draft house. Mm-hmm. They, their popcorn machine was broken. <gasps> and that no. was that was my only turn around go ah, home that was nope. the only bad thing about the whole thing was i was like well huh, mm, i've come to see a movie and you're telling me oh, there will be popcorn here was my response i found out the popcorn machine was broken and i said that's extraordinary what would you like to do next i'd like you to fix the popcorn machine yes now or, or run across the street to a Walgreens and buy popcorn and maybe just warm it up somehow for me and bring it in here. Mm-hmm. But a movie with no popcorn, that the makes, sacrilegious makes or me, something makes me angry. And you wouldn't like to see me when I'm angry. So yeah, people, people talking when they shouldn't. In movies. Repeating the same thing twice because everyone in the room was being obnoxious and loud and so 10 people didn't hear me. Uh, Not a fan. Yeah. Not a fan. That's true. Like giving like giving a presentation or a class or something like that? Oh, just, you or know, just in general. talking with a couple of people and, and then someone walks in at the back end and they're like, oh, what was that? I missed it. Well, you know uh, what? You missed it. You missed it. Not too bad for you. Whoops. Should have been here earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they were there. They were just having their own conversation because oh, okay. they didn't think what I was saying was important. And then all of a sudden, I said a key word and they're like, oh, what now? Mm-hmm. I now have to stop and repeat myself for you. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Yeah. So, wait, Bo, what did you say? Was What is what made you angry? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it'd be really, it'd be great if we had a YouTube channel. It would be. It would be. I don't have to visually edit any of that right now. <laughs> I 
struggle. You know what? I struggle with movies that kill off the main characters in their sequels in the credits. That kind of gets me a little riled up. I'm just saying. Pat, you know, you know what I hate? I hate that. I, I really hate that sometimes, even when you win, you, you lose. lose. I mean, it's it's rough. I hate it, but it's 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 life. It's realistic. That's the rules you got to play by. Yeah. Yeah. That's the rules that we got to play by. You know what I hate? I hate movies about surfing. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You hate movies about I hate, surfing. I hate Point Break. Hey, Utah, give me two. Give me two. The ending of Never Ending Story. <laughs> well, just explain it to me, and I don't know if I hate it or not. Just, just tell me what happened. Did they get the bullies? Because if you got the bullies, I'm good with it. But if you didn't get the bullies, I'm out. <laughs> he doesn't hate it. He's just curious. Yeah, I guess. So. I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. I'm curious. I'm, I'm not judging. Yeah. Wait, I'm, I'm the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> I am the villain of the story. I am the Dennis. Did you? Did we give yours? No. So I'm going to say my immediate one right now is when I. What makes me angry when I drop something? Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bending over. That's, yeah. People don't know I had microdiscectomy, so I had a surgery on my L4 L5 disc vertebrae, so I can't bend, twist, or do anything like that. And I swear to God, I'm dropping more. I am dropping stupid stuff that I've never dropped before in my life. I had to have my son buzz me up because I was outside the place about to put my key in the door to go in. And all of a sudden I dropped the keys and I'm like, you know what? I, mean, oh, I could try no. to, I could try to do a lunge and keep my back up straight and get down and reach and grab the keys. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just, but then, then I'm calling him and then he's not answering right away. <laughs> so then you're just like <laughs> sitting out and it's cold and you got groceries in your hand, like the bag, not a lot, but one bag cause I can't hold more than whatever, 10 pounds or something like that now too. So, so all those things are just making me angry. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I just, I, I've dropped more stuff now, stupid stuff. You know, luckily I have this little, went and bought one of these grabber things. <laughs> oh, you've, you've got the, you've got the old people grabber. But I didn't Good have move. it with me outside, so it didn't help. And then when you try to grab it, you get something almost up to hand it to yourself and it falls again. Boom. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it's just one of those things where, so I'm going to say right now, I'll be dropping anything in general with people. I would, I'm going to go, I don't know. I was trying to decide which category. I think hypocrisy really makes me angry mm-hmm. but probably mm-hmm. not as i think i'm i'm so used to hypocrisy now that it doesn't make me as angry i would still i guess i'm gonna come down to sort of the theme of the movie is is when people just simply have situations where they just choose not to be nice to somebody that they mm-hmm. can very easily without anything really and we're not talking about taking the shirt off your back and giving it to somebody i'm talking about simply treating somebody and being nice to somebody and you just kind of are just a either rude or just having an attitude or like that, that's, that does make me angry. So I will, I will say that maybe that's why I was so, I guess maybe if you want to call passionate about the movie, I was going to say because I, I think that was bothering me throughout the movie. I'll be honest. I was sitting there looking at like, why am I defending him so much? And I'm not really defending him or his actions. I'm just so angry at the other people throughout the film that they wrote in there that just never, never threw him a bone, never were simply kind. Yeah, I think Kurt Douglas. Is it that hard up. to be kind? I mean, is it that hard to be kind? I think Kurt you Douglas know? summed it up. Was it Kurt Douglas that said uh, he's the victim and the villain yeah, simultaneously? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think that's the yeah. All the same, Dennis, I'm not going to turn my back on you for the next foreseeable future. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
I love you, Pat. I'm just, I'm just kidding. And if you ever drop the keys, you just give me a phone call. And I'll come shooting right over. I might drive past your house a couple of times just because I get lost in there. But so, Dennis, that that procedure you had, you're not having kids anymore. What? What was the name of the procedure you had again? Microdisectomy. Yeah, so you're yeah, not having kids anymore. Sounds a little dangerous, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That would sound embarrassing and dangerously if it was a microdisectomy. I think you're. I think I was going to say you're you're a brave man for actually going on the air and saying, "Hey, it was micro." Did I say a microdisectomy? I said I meant a major disectomy. <laughs> He's mad. An extra large disectomy. It's, it's the, biggest the, one they ever saw. It's, it's the macro one. Yeah. Big mistake. Big, huge. I, it's a disectomy like nobody else. I, I, the, the greatest disectomy it took, ever. It took every doctor at the hospital to make it happen. I hear they had him working in shifts. Uh, uh, well. On that note. Yikes. That is going to do it for this episode of the 30-something movie podcast. We are at 30podcast.com, at 30podcast on the different social media stuff. We have got coming up for the rest of this month. This month is our One Bad Day theme, and our movies this month have been Cliffhanger, Groundhog Day, True Romance, uh, Falling Down was this week, and then next week we're going to finish it off with The Fugitive. What I'm going to want from you guys, uh, from each and every one of you, is a hard target search of uh, every was a gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, dog house in the area so that we can talk about the fugitive. Uh, our, our Patreons, just, what's that? Just just be careful. Just be careful with the fugitive. I mean, realistically, you know, Tommy Jones, Tommy Lee Jones didn't care in there. I don't So care. Tommy Lee Jones technically is the villain in that movie. So just let's just be careful with Dennis. We don't want to get him all fired up again. Okay. All right. I don't think I got fired up. I feel like, I mean, the, the one thing for Richard Kimball, though, is even when he wins, he, he loses. He loses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I saw the Leviathan sitting on his, like, library shelf, so I'm sure it all, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that's all how. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And no, Dennis, of course, you didn't get riled up. Everything is good. You just stay calm. Everything is okay. I'll put back the tape. Uh-huh. We're here yeah, to tape. help you. Very nineteen. We are empathizing with you, dude. We are empathizing with you, dude. Well, before everybody gets all touchy-feely about things, our Patreon episodes this month were Octopussy. The short ones are Superman 3 and Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Next month, April, is Location, Location, Location. Our regular episodes are, all of them have a location in the title, Sleepless in Seattle, Bronx Tale, Gettysburg, and Philadelphia. Our Patreons are Razzies of 1993, which would include Indecent Proposal, Body of Evidence, Cliffhanger, Last Action Hero, and Sliver. And then our Patreon short, Sleepaway Camp from 83, and Evil Dead Rise from 2023. So we got all kinds of good stuff going on over the course of the next month or so. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. All right, everybody. Be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies. We'll see you back here next time.